0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia.
1: Radio MMT respectfully acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting, the Wurundjeri people, and we are broadcasting to the Kulin Nations. Our focus is economics, that is, how stuff is produced and distributed. We recognise that for many tens of thousands of years... First Nations people's connection to country successfully embodied the world's oldest continuous economy, which was catastrophically disrupted by genocide and displacement. We acknowledge that we have much to learn to reshape our current extractive and exploitive system to achieve sustainable prosperity for everyone.
2: Radio MMT Economics for the rest of us with Anne
1: and Kev. Radio MMT, looking at the world through the lens of modern monetary theory. Radio,
3: Radio MMT.
2: MMT. Macroeconomics for a well-being economy. Macroeconomics?
1: Like, isn't that incredibly boring?
2: No, Kevin, it's incredibly interesting. It's all about who gets what and why.
1: Who gets what and why? Okay, I'm in.
2: Radio MMT at gmail.com. Incredibly
1: interesting macroeconomics for the rest of us. Welcome to another episode of Radio MMT. How are you, Anne?
2: Hello, Kevin. I'm doing all right. I'm a bit weary, actually. You're a bit weary. <laughs> I ran all my errands today, literally. I went running around on foot because I'm trying to get up my steps count for the day.
1: Oh, Roddy, I've got one of those apps on my phone and it, um, it tells me that I need to do more the whole time. It's because I leave my phone, I don't keep it on me the whole time. <laughs> so,
2: That's your excuse.
1: <laughs> it's, it's true. I do, I do these ridiculous days and it says, oh, you need to do more. And I go,
2: well, I'm Googling to see. <laughs> That's actually a thing. You know, is it actually a thing that we need to do these 10,000 steps every day? Yeah, it says who? And you know where it came from? No. This whole thing originated as part of an advertising campaign to sell a product, which was a pedometer.
1: Ah, righty <laughs>
2: Capitalism, you've got to love it.
1: Capitalism again, yeah. Actually, that's that's the thing is because you know how um, everything is terrible and we're all doomed, right? Mm. That can be a bit depressing sometimes mm-hmm. when you think about it. And all the indicators are, you know, everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket. So what do you do then? What are you supposed to do if 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 nothing's going to work? And so my kick now is that we're at the end of the Holocene period. Mm-hmm. This is a twelve thousand year period that's suitable for human existence, of paradise, a paradise, <laughs> and. Uh, and it's coming to an end. Mm. So, my task is to go and find all the nice things and enjoy them while they're still there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's,
0: and,
1: and trying to do it removed from capitalism as much as possible. So,
2: oh, there's a mighty goal. Yes. And I haven't said hello to our lovely listener yet.
1: Ah, Larry or yes. Larissa.
2: Or, or it could even be Fred. I hear that Fred, ah, Fred. has been going through our backlist, Kevin. Ah. <laughs> He's been binging the backlist
1: oh that's a problem of the modern age isn't it like everything's there on social media to be checked up on that that never used to happen but
2: (laughs) well stick with us for the next hour because kevin and i will be wandering the weeds of the macroeconomy with our trusty tool which of course is modern monetary theory and you might be wondering why you need a trusty tool to do this and that's because there are so many conflicting ideas out there about what's going on in the economy and modern monetary theory is the one that we think is the best tool or what the economists would call an analytical framework for understanding what's going on
1: basically it's a uh, it's a method of cutting through the bullshit and um, <laughs> uh, there's there's so much nonsense out there i mean you just sort of think that the economy that we live in you can't imagine it any other way but then You have to realise that the economy we live in is a completely imagined construct and that we just happen to be locked into this one system. And so I guess what we try to do is look objectively at that system.
2: And how it could be done better. Once you understand how it works, and I think modern monetary theory describes it the best, and what's special, of course, about modern monetary theory, as it says in the name... Is that it does look at money. It looks at the monetary system, which mainstream economics, believe it or not, doesn't even bother thinking about money. Yeah,
1: yeah it's got the weird concept about how um,
2: money is neutral. Money so they is don't neutral. E- think about
1: e- everything is, is in natural balance. The exchange of goods is in natural balance with, with something else, and, and money is, <laughs> is to be ignored. It's bizarre.
2: It is. And it leads us into all sorts of horrible and dangerous places. Although I find it's a real coincidence that somehow these bad economic theories just happen to suit funneling money towards about 20% of the population while the rest of us are struggling
1: I think it's even less than 20% because as we say at the intro it's about who gets what and why Mm. and there's a pattern emerging. Um, mm. and uh,
2: <laughs> There are some patterns, and you've got to wonder, don't you? Yeah, and, and
1: who gets what? Well, there's some people getting an awful lot, and why are they getting it? That's because of the way we've set up the system. That's
2: right, mm. and that's what we'll be looking at in the upcoming hour because we did get another letter from the Cape. So, Excellent. Bill Mitchell, who is the economist who founded modern monetary theory, so he sent us another letter, and in that letter, he's going to be describing one of the mechanisms by which we do funnel money to a certain percent of the uh, population. But before we do that, (laughs) I did want to remind us that there is a documentary that's now out there and, in fact, it had its first screening in America... Back in September 2023. Yep. And that documentary is called Finding the Money.
1: Ah, yes, I've heard of this. I've seen it it around. Mm -hmm.
2: You and I are going to do a big wind-up on this one because eventually it will be screening in Australia. And I think that'll happen early next year sometime. So we'll keep thinking about uh, checking this documentary out because... It is a film in which they are looking at what modern monetary theory has to say and the way they've done that is to go and look at some of the economists and that includes Stephanie Kelton. Right. And, of course, she's the one who wrote The Deficit Myth and the director of the film, Marin Poitras. She was interviewed back in October 2023 by the San Francisco Chronicle And I've got a couple of interesting quotes from that article. Sure, that on me. And uh, this is what jumped out at me. She said, I interviewed so many economists of all stripes to figure out what's their critique, meaning what's their critique of MMT. And she said, I could never get much past that MMT is this crazy theory that says you can print infinite amounts of money and it will never cause inflation. So that's the best these economists right. came up with.
1: Okay, yeah. That, that, that's the constant criticism. Mm. Oh, you can't just print money because it'll cause inflation. <laughs> <laughs> we understand that. You can print infinite amounts of money. you just yeah. got to make sure that where you place it doesn't cause inflation.
2: Exactly. Uh. What we're saying is that the capability for the government to create dollars is infinite. This is where we go back to that idea of money being like points in a football game. Yeah, the umpire can never run out of points. In theory, the umpire could award an infinite number of points, but does that ever happen in a game? Does that ever happen on the ground? No, no. no. You have to you have to
1: place them according to <laughs> to the, the rules. To the rules, yeah. The you know, I've got I've got a um uh, an app that I'm that i have been working, uh, I'm, I'm sort of uh, just theorising on the moment. It's called the slap app, right? Okay. And the slap app is that you're allowed to slap somebody three times a month. <laughs> <laughs> And I know that's really bad and I know it's really old school, right? But it would stop people from making stupid (laughs) comments because they might be slapped for it, right? And if you slap somebody... For the wrong reason, well, then you, you might have to get one back You're going to
2: patent this, are you? I reckon it's
1: a pretty good idea. But I tell it to, to younger people and they think it, they're horrified. Uh-huh. And, but I tell it to older people and, well, they were all smacked yeah. when they were kids. So we, they kinda... remember, we
2: remember when you got the cane at school.
1: And, and I know it's, it's a carrot and stick thing, but I reckon we need a bit more stick because there's too much carrot around at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, I'm just, just saying that my slap app could have been used for that Could person. have been used yeah. right
2: now. You have to get the slap sound effect so we can use it. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So Maren Poitras, who was the director of this documentary film called Finding the Money, she went on to say that this kind of characterisation or mischaracterisation that's out there, what I find illuminating is that I could not find a great critique. In other words, she's done what you and I didn't do, Kevin, which is we have not yet run off to the mainstream economists and said, well, what do you think of modern monetary theory? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. But she's actually gone out there and done it. Thank goodness. She's done the legwork for us. Cool. And she said she couldn't find anyone who had a decent critique. Decent so, critique. Mm, I was really pleased to hear that because that tells me that what you and I are saying, which is that modern monetary theory is the best description of the macroeconomy. That holds up.
1: Yeah. So like we've had um, uh, MMT, the book, which is kind of like the macroeconomics book and other books like The Deficit Method, etc. And then we've had MMT, the radio show, which is like you and I, mm-hmm. and MMT, the podcast, podcast, and there's heaps of those. Yep. So this is like MMT, the movie.
2: This is like the, MMT, the movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and so what she's saying is that even though mainstream economists will tell you, and this is what you might hear through the mainstream media, that MMT is got it wrong, they can't tell you why. I can't MMT tell you why. Well, wrong.
1: I've never like uh, like I've never heard. Somebody, say, uh, give a criticism of MMT, that makes any sense when they say these things. Oh, MMT's going to cause inflation. No, printing money and putting it in the wrong part of the economy is going to cause inflation. Yeah, do it, do Fred. <laughs> I'm like, we all know that. But, but
2: Yeah, they're straw man arguments. Um, and why should we care about these economists arguing about things like interest rates and inflation and so on? And Maren Poitras says, The story we tell about money matters. An alternative story of money will revolutionise our conception of what we as a society believe we can afford and achieve. And then she says, This money piece, I think, is really the missing piece in the entire environmental movement.
1: Yep. So
2: why do we say that? Why is this such an important part of, say, like the movement to deal with climate change? Well,
1: this whole argument that governments can't afford to do things because they haven't got enough tax revenue and this is my number one, number one uh, mission in the mm. world, is to change this perception that governments can't afford to do things because they don't have the tax revenue. Mm. That's not how it works, people, Mm-mm. right? That's not how money is created. I don't print money and give it to the government.
2: Yeah, and the thing is, you know, I listen to a lot of the Bleeding Hearts. Um, that's the kind of listening I like to do. And if you hear anyone say something like, if only we could tax the fossil fuel companies, then we could afford to remediate the environment and do our renewable energy, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, no, you can go ahead and do all that if you have the resources because the Australian federal government can never run out of the dollars and we do want them to tax the fossil fuel companies, but not because we need the dollars because we want to tax them out of existence yeah, because they're
1: bad because you know they're, they're bad and we need to put other things in.
2: So that's a huge message that yeah. comes out of MMT.
1: It's a massive message. if we could get that message across, tell ten people. That's your mission for the next show. And if they all tell 10 people, then in about two years' time, we'll have this, this, this the whole thing sorted.
0: You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au.
1: Hey, but speaking of Letter for the Cape, should we launch into it?
2: Let's have a listen, yeah.
1: Okay, here we go. It's time for a Letter from the Cape with economist Bill, Bill Mitchell.
3: Hello, and here is another episode in my Letter from the Cape series, where I talk about modern monetary theory, or MMT, as it applies to the real-world challenges and problems. Earlier this week, we learned that one of the big four retail banks in Australia, Westpac, recorded a 26% increase in their annual net profits. billion dollars which means its shareholders will be banking extra dividends this year the bank's management indicated they would also be using 1.5 billion as a share buyback which just means it buys some of its existing shares back reducing the overall shareholding and spreading the profits over a smaller shareholding which further rewards investors and pushes up the bank's share price the result a big boost to those with wealth invested in the bank. Overall, the banking sector in Australia has increased its margins, the rate it loans out money relative to the rate it pays depositors, and it has been able to do that because the Reserve Bank of Australia has pushed up interest rates. The policy target rate is now at 4.35%, which is the highest it's been since 2012. This added around $100 per month to the average mortgage of $600,000 and since May 2022, the average mortgage holder has seen their monthly payments rise by around $1,560. This is a 52% increase, a massive impost by any measure. The RBA has now hiked rates 13 times since May 2022 and the shift from 0.25% in April 2022 to its current level is one of the fastest escalations we've ever seen. Massive boost to bank profits and RBA rate hikes are directly connected. And as more Australian mortgage holders segue from fixed rate contracts to variable rates in the next several months, the private banks will see their profits increase even more. Have you ever wondered why commentators from the commercial banks, who are overwhelmingly featured in finance reports on the ABC and other media outlets, typically urge the RBA to push up interest rates to prevent the economy from overheating? These commentators are held out to the public as independent industry experts when in fact they are just boosters for their companies. They know full well that constantly telling the public that rates must rise to fight inflation is just a smokescreen for their special pleading to boost their company's profits. The RBA's own research demonstrates that when they push up the target policy interest rate, bank profits head towards the stratosphere. The situation is even more loaded when we realise that while the winners of the RBA policy are the wealthy segments of our society, the losers are usually at the opposite end of the income and wealth spectrum. The RBA promised borrowers that if they took out large mortgage loans in 2020 and 2021, they could assume that rates would not rise until at least 2024. Of course, it was stupid of the then RBA governor to make that statement, but the rate rises since 2022 have significantly punished an increasing number of borrowers and the pain is concentrated on the lower income groups in our society who have very little income leeway to absorb the substantial increases in mortgage payments. It is not too simplistic to see this as a massive income redistribution from poor to the rich, engineered by the central bank. The RBA claims that the rate hikes are not hurting households all that much because they have prior savings to draw upon. Think about that. Low-income families have virtually zero saving buffers. Of the better-off families that do have some savings to draw on, the latest national accounts data shows they are running down those stocks quickly. So what wealth the lower ends of the distribution might have had is being quickly destroyed by the RBA policies and redistributed to those with immense wealth. The latest CPI data revealed a declining inflation rate with some persistence, but like a Pavlovian dog, the RBA was motivated to push rates up again. The RBA says it must get inflation down to two to 3% as quickly as possible, even though that target rate has no basis in any legitimate economic theory. In other words, it is just a self-imposed rule without any justification. But that issue aside, the factors driving the inflation rate at present are not related to excessive spending by households. Rate hikes only discipline inflation if the sources of the inflation are sensitive to interest rate changes. At present, CPI inflation is being driven by escalating rents, which in part are due to landlords passing on past RBA rate hikes to tenants. It is a case of RBA interest rates causing rather than suppressing inflation. The other major drivers are OPEC oil price rises being passed into petrol prices and the profit gouging by the privatised electricity companies neither of which are going to be sensitive to the RBA decisions and will resolve over time anyway. There was no case for the RBA to increase rates, but in doing so it has further increased wealth inequality in this country and further entrenched the power of the elites. This is one example of our broken policy system. In Japan, where I am currently working for a while, The Bank of Japan has kept rates unchanged throughout this inflationary episode because it formed the view correctly that the inflationary pressures were coming from the supply side and interest rate changes would do little to fix that problem. They realized those supply side pressures would abate as the world adjusted to the disruptions caused by the pandemic and that they could just wait the inflation out without causing families with mortgages more pain on top of the cost-of-living pressures. There is another way, but our blind policymakers refuse to see it. And sitting pretty are the bank shareholders who count the extra profits with glee with little regard for the low-income families who are now enduring massive burdens. That's all for today. Until next time, see you later.
1: Bill's letter from the Cape, that, that triggered me, I saw Anne.
2: you getting riled up over there.
1: Talk me through it, Anne.
2: So we just heard Bill describing that on November the 7th, 2023, the Reserve Bank of Australia, the RBA, which is our central bank, it raised what they call its target interest rate for the 12th time since May 2022, and it raised that rate to 4.35%. So when the RBA raises its target rate... That flows through to what they call the whole interest rate structure in the economy, which means that anyone who's got a loan from a commercial bank is likely to see the amount of money they have to pay back in interest go up if they've got a variable rate loan. And so what that has translated to, as Bill was saying, is that the average mortgage holder, so the person who has been paying a mortgage, Those payments have risen by about $1,500 a month since May
1: 2022. $1,500 per month?
2: This is the 12th increase, and as Bill wrote in his blog post about the same topic, he said this 12th rate increase was an unnecessary increase, just like the 11 increases that preceded it.
1: I know uh, some young homebuyers who uh, are in this situation, the The overnight rate was at uh, 0.25% um, back during COVID uh, and was looking to stay there until 2024 because the uh, the Reserve Bank Governor, Philip Lowe, basically said so. It's, gave
2: everyone that impression that yeah, they wouldn't go up.
1: Yeah, interest rates are rock bottom. Uh, he did that to stimulate the economy. He said, "Go and borrow money and and buy houses and start business and stimulate the economy with these really low interest rates because COVID had knocked everything for six. He said, "All going to be sweet. Stick in there till 2024, and then he changed his mind. Then he, and then he thought, 'Ah, oh, now we've got a Now we've got inflation.'" Uh, and inflation wasn't caused by people overspending. Inflation was caused by uh, by the war in Ukraine, by fuel prices. And this is this is crucial. I'm going to go through this. This mm. this whole fuel price thing flows through to everything. Not uh, my, my vehicle that I drive is is a diesel vehicle. I'd much rather it was electric. Uh, there's not one available. Um, it should be. If if uh, 30 years ago we'd done what we we're supposed to, I'd be driving an electric vehicle. Uh, I'm not. I've got solar panels on it though because I live in my van and I'm doing what I can. Mm but my diesel prices have gone from $1.40 a liter a few years ago to uh, above $2 to 2.20 to 2.30 a liter at the moment. Mm. Now, now if I'm using diesel, so is every truck on the road and every everything that you buy is delivered by a truck mm. or it's flown by a plane or it's traveled
2: or, from somewhere. It's
1: traveled via a ship and and they all use fuel. Mm. Uh, and, and everything that you have is wrapped in plastic, and plastic is made from oil. Mm. So nearly everything that you consume has an oil price foundation. When oil rises significantly, like it has, which has almost doubled... You're going to have prices oh, cost go... Cost of
2: living increase.
1: So I heard that the new governor... Um, uh, Michelle Bullock. Can we calling her Sandra Bullock? That's the actress, isn't it? yeah. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. Don't get them mixed up. Yeah, I won't get them mixed up. And she was saying, oh, you know, ha- hairdressers are, are more expensive now. And, and so hairdressers are causing inflation. No, hairdressers are putting up their prices because their rents have gone up. And as we said before, the Mm. reason the rents have gone up is because the interest rate's gone up. So
2: So the only part of inflation that's being affected by the interest rate rises at the moment is not the energy side of it and the price gouging side of it. It's actually the rent side of it.
1: So just in very simple terms, what the Reserve Bank is saying is that if we tell people with large loans to give their money, give it, to the banks never see it again we're going to we're going to charge you more interest so transfer that money from first home buyers and from small business owners who are heavily geared that what they're saying is if we tell these people that they have to pay more interest and give more money to the banks who are doing very well that somehow is going to Cause the oil companies to reconsider their prices and drop them.
2: (laughs) So somehow going to deal with inflation. That's the logic. And as Bill said, what is actually going on here is what they call a transfer of wealth. And he calls it a massive income redistribution from the poor to the rich, engineered by the central bank. So in other words, one bunch of people are paying more money to another bunch of people. Mortgage holders and renters are paying more money to the banks. And so what happens then? Banks are recording record profits. Westpac recorded that 26% increase. 26% increase
1: in their profits.
2: profits. (laughs) People who own shares in banks are doing very well. So if you've got shares in the Commonwealth Bank or the ANZ, you're doing very well. But anyone who is just barely getting by, just think about it. If you're paying $1,500 more a month to a bank, that's $1,500 you're not using to buy other things. Yeah. So it affects what they call the real economy. So like all your hairdressers and all your restaurateurs, they should be really annoyed about this increase in um, interest rates because people will be going out to meals less and getting less haircuts and so on.
1: So so it is slowing the economy, right? It, it, it is slowing the economy. But
2: What I think is it's a fully insane way to manage an economy because what they are literally doing and what they're saying is that, we have to damage part of the economy in order to save the economy. That's the mentality.
1: It, uh, it dumbfounds me because they're saying – well, this comes back to this this thing called the quantity theory of money. So the instruction book that the Reserve Bank is reading from hmm. says that the reason for inflation is that there's too much money in the economy. Hmm even though that they know that the reason that there's inflation isn't because there's too much money in the economy. (laughs) It's
2: because of the Ukraine war. Because Mm. they
1: say this. They say, oh, we have inflationary pressures because energy prices and and fuel prices have gone up. Mm. So they say that they understand what the problem is Mm. and then they go to their, their instruction manual and there's no instructions in there. To deal with that no, cause, that's right. So they say, "Oh, radio." Well, our instruction book says that there's inflation because <laughs> there's too much money in the economy, and therefore we need to drain money from the economy, and we're going to do that by punishing people who are already suffering from inflation because these uh-huh. people drive cars and pay electricity prices, so they're already suffering. So, if mm. if there was too much money in the economy and mm. that was causing inflation, mm. then like, and that's a big if. But if that was what's causing the problem, then If you're going to drain money out of the economy, why would you target the people who are doing it hardest? Wouldn't you just increase Mm. taxation? Wouldn't you just say, "Radio, we're going to raise GST to 20% Mm. and that means everything's going to cost a little bit more and people are going to spend a bit less and that will drain money from the economy. So even by their own rationale, Mm. even by their own rationale that, okay, the way we deal with this is we drain money from the economy, even though that's not a problem, but that's what we're going to do. The method that they're using to drain money from the economy is, in fact – Hurting the poor and benefiting the rich. That's it right. is it it's, is reverse Robin Hood really economics. It's not
2: really draining money. It's transferring money. Correct.
1: It's transferring. See, taxation would drain money from the economy. You would mm-hmm. say, "Radio, GST up, or or you put a luxury tax in." That certainly that would be the way to do it. You'd say, "People are spending too much money. They're pushing prices up. We're going to okay. apply a tax to things. We're where going to
2: stop cruise ships from roll, running around the oceans."
1: And that would drain money from mm-hmm. the economy. You're with Anne and Kev on Radio MMT.
2: At 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne, Australia.
1: And wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Economics for the rest of us. There are many ways that you can keep up to date with 3CR news, events and programs. The 3CR website is a great spot to catch all your shows via audio on demand or scroll through our range of podcasts. It's also where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter, buy yourself a new T-shirt or check out archival audio from past broadcasts. Of course, we're also on Twitter at 3CR and Instagram at 3CR Melbourne. But don't forget our mighty AM band. Catch us anytime on 855 AM. Keep in touch acr.org.au interesting question to ask yourself. Why would the RBA be doing something that they really do themselves know is not going to be helpful and is possibly going to be counterproductive? And they publish reports that say this. So why are they doing it? And like you say, it could be that instruction book because they are mandated to deal with inflation. And of course, what Modern monetary theory is telling us is that it's not what the interest rates do that's going to help here, it's what you do as a government in your regulating and in your fiscal policy, which is the spending.
1: And I like your question mm-hmm. because these people are full time engaged to understand and to solve these problems.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Are they that stupid? I, they can't be that stupid, right? Because, like, we don't apply ourselves to this full-time. I, I've got things to do during the day. I think about this as I'm, I'm ripping weatherboards off a house and stuffing insulation <laughs> in, and I can figure it out,
2: right? So, so you know, the only way I can uh, answer that question yeah. explain it to myself is that this is a form of class warfare. Yeah. This is one of those forms that is not obvious to the average person. Um, and... I was noticing how Bill talked about this being a redistribution from the poor to the rich. So notice that he's talking about rich and poor here. He is not talking about younger people and older people. And so a lot of the analysis I've heard recently that really annoys me is that they're noticing that there's a statistical distribution where younger people are doing it tougher and older people are are better off because they're the ones with the stocks and the shares and so on. So yes, the numbers do say that, but people are saying it as though we've got intergenerational warfare. And I would say, no, we do not have intergenerational warfare. What we have is class warfare that has played out across the generations. So if you were lucky enough to grow up in a pre-neoliberal era, say the 50s, 60s and 70s, then there was a chance that you were enjoying the benefit of, for example, universal services. So you had free university education. You had a good access to public housing. You had uh, good access to um, cheaper housing and good access to health benefits. Now, if you're unlucky enough to be starting out now... In this age when neoliberalism pretty much won the economic debate,
1: it's running rife. Yep. Then
2: you'll be saddled with student debt, and you will be uh, looking at these price gouging corporations increasing your cost of living, and you'll be dealing with power imbalances with landlords because housing is so tight, and you'll be looking at a housing bubble, and you'll be looking at a whole lot of factors that have played out across generations. So I'm just getting a bit annoyed that this story is being told as a story of one generation versus another.
1: There are definite advantages um, depending on when you were born. Uh, Just recently I visited a friend in Tokenwall uh, where I was working uh, and her journey is quite interesting. She was the same age as me, and, and property was affordable back mm. in the nineties. Uh, I bought a house back in the nineties as, as a theatre technician. You know, mm. um, uh, she was in a similar boat. She was working uh, in those kind of um, uh, low income earning capacity, but you could you could get a loan. All you needed was a steady job, and you could get a loan and afford to buy a house. So mm. she did, uh, and she bought that in Seaford, and then she moved down the peninsula before it took off. Then the peninsula took off. Um, I think she took out a loan to get somewhere down there and she kept her job. Uh, and then uh, she's going, okay, rightio, well, I've, I've managed to stay ahead of the game here. I'm going to move out of the peninsula and move to Tokenwall, which is up near the, the border there. You know, it's rural property. Uh, she said, I'm going to get rid of my mortgage. I'm going to sell this place because it's gone up in price. Nothing I've done. I just happen to be mm-hmm. the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. So now she's bought a nice little place up in Tokenwall, um, and she's going to see it her years um, debt free, etc. Mm. That's being born at the right time. It's mm. not because yes. she's it's not because she's old and wealthy. It's not because or, she or,
2: hates younger people, right? No,
1: no. It's it's kind of like just <laughs> it's just not
2: because she's stealing from younger people intentionally. It's yeah. right
1: place, right time. You mm. know. Um, mm. Now I was on that trip myself, and I'm now living in a van. Uh, I'm living some of the same disadvantages of many young people, and that's because circumstances change and uh, mm. and you have to adapt. We'll
2: have to do a whole show on the housing bubble because there are a bunch of things that feed into that.
1: I'm James Juniper. I'm an economist at the University of Newcastle
3: and you're listening to Radio 3CR.
2: Today we're looking at this thing about the RBA raising the interest rates. And it's just a really good example, a very clear example of the mechanisms by which this country is being managed to increase the difference between the rich and the poor.
1: Yeah, and and the the smokescreens and the misinformation Mm. that those who are pulling the levers use Mm. uh, to confuse and and persuade people. Normal citizens who are trying to just break
0: even—that's right—and
1: they explain to them, "Oh, we need to do this. This is—we need to raise interest rates to to battle inflation." Bullshit! It's <laughs> bullshit, and it's—it's—it is—it's—they're either lying or they're stupid. You know, it's as—it's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. The, the, these are people who are forcing people to transfer their savings, their mega yes. savings, yes. to people who already have enormous That's savings right. and property portfolios, and and. It's just
2: wrong. It is. It's outrageous. And you and I get very outraged about this. And then I start to feel a bit lonely and I think, where's the mass protest against the RBA raising interest rates? Because it's just not a sexy topic. And I understand and I agree that people need to get out on the streets over the horror that is being imposed on Palestine at the moment. And I agree that people need to get out on the streets around climate change. And I'm thinking, where are people getting out on the streets about the RBA raising interest rates? And then, Kevin, there was a ray of light. What? What And I was so excited because I discovered that back on the 29th of August, 2023, while she was still the deputy governor. So Michelle Bullock is now the governor of the RBA. Back then, she was the deputy governor. And she was about to give a speech, which was the Sir Leslie Melville Lecture at the ANU, the Australian National University in Canberra. And this Leslie Melville Lecture is an annual public lecture that is uh, named in honour of an economist who helped pioneer central banking in Australia. I'd never heard of this person. Right. (laughs) So you learn something. Anyway, she's about to give this speech and then a handful of protesters march into the auditorium to disrupt her. And they were reported as saying, hey, Michelle, you say 140,000 people should lose their jobs. How do you justify that? So now what they're talking about is the single worst mainstream economic policy, which is known as the NAIRU, The the non-accelerating inflation rate rate of unemployment. unemployment. So we've got three numbers we're talking about here. Three rates. We're talking about interest rates. We're talking about inflation rates and we're talking about unemployment rates. And Michelle has been saying that the way to keep down inflation is to raise interest rates so that businesses close so people lose their jobs. And I was just so excited when, oh my gosh, these young people, they get it and they're actually so outraged about it. They're making signage and running into this auditorium to demonstrate against this woman who, by the way, is appointed by the current government after their so-called review of the Reserve Bank of Australia. As soon as you hear her say we need to lose 140,000 jobs... We know that that review was just like a toothless tiger. They weren't going to change the way the RBA operates. So I feel like, Kevin, that these people um, expressed how I was feeling. And you know I don't often um, pick the music here, but I do have a little bit of a tune that I think expresses how the protesters were feeling and how I was feeling.
1: I am so looking forward to your little creation here, uh, Anne. So let's, uh, let's go with it.
2: Reserve Bank
0: Governor Michelle Bullock is under pressure to raise interest rates. Is it, is it group think that 90% of economists believe rates need to be lifted? 90% of economists think we're going to see a rate increase today and quite a few of them think we
1: actually need two rate rises. What's it all about? It's about inflation being too high.
0: RBA Deputy Governor Michelle Bullock says our unemployment rate will need to rise to 4.5%. That's to tame inflation, so the unemployment rate's got to rise. Unemployment rate's got to rise. This is what Michelle Bullock was saying. Basically saying it needs to get to 4.5%. And just doing the maths on the back of a napkin, that's about
1: 140,000 jobs that need to be lost in Australia's economy. Why does the unemployment rate need to go up? Well, if there are less people working, there's less demand being put into the economy. Less people are earning money. They're not spending that money in the
0: economy. They're not pushing up inflation. So it's one of the ways to bring down inflation is a higher unemployment rate. Is it groupthink? Is it groupthink? 4.5%. is full employment. The right level of employment for
1: the country where everyone that has a job wants a job. That's apparently about four and a half percent. So
0: we're below that level at the moment. So the rate unfortunately needs to go up. The old Nairu Anne
1: that featured quite prominently in your clip there. 140,000 people. This, this is... Talk me through it.
2: Okay. <laughs> well, really, I've just got a question that I might pose. Um, I'll just put it out there. I don't expect you to have an answer for this, Kevin. Um, but what I'm noticing is that, on the one hand, we have a Labor government who, at the moment, is overseeing a return to the high immigration rates that we saw under the coalition government. And they tell us the need for having high immigration rates is that we need workers. That's why they want a whole bunch of people coming into the country. And, I, you know, we definitely do need immigration. I'm not arguing against immigration as such. But at the same time, we have the central bank doing its best to put 140,000 existing workers out, out of work. work. So which is it? This is the question I have. Do we have too many workers, or do we have not enough workers?
1: It's. Uh, I think there's just a um, there's contradicting policies going on here, aren't there? the mm. The government, to its credit, is making some pragmatic decisions. We need some workers. The environment they're inviting them into is not prepared. There's a housing shortage. Uh, you've got the Reserve Bank fighting. Increased activity, it's just
2: I think Anthony and Michelle need to get together. Well, <laughs> our Prime Minister Anthony Albanese and our Reserve Bank Governor Michelle Bullock, they need to get together and talk about just what they're trying to do here.
1: Look at policies smashing into <laughs> each other. It's, it It makes no sense.
2: I'll just leave leave this thought though that I wonder if they're actually in quiet agreement because if you look at both policies, both policies are about attacking workers. High rates of immigration of unskilled workers drives down wages and conditions. Raising interest rates drives down wages and conditions through higher unemployment.
1: Do you know what I think both of them are feeling? They're feeling a little bit dissatisfied. And with that, we go to Devo.
2: No satisfaction from the RBA at all. No. Uh,
1: They're coming to town, Devo. That's why I played them. They're playing in the next week or so, and this is their farewell to it. I I never realised how um, interesting a band Devo was. Mm -hmm. Devolution. They saw... The catastrophe, the the hopelessness of our condition, many many decades ago, and formed that band, uh, uh, Devolution, which is basically just to ridicule our species, um, and they do it in a very fun way. So mm-hmm. I, and I reckon that's the way. Like if we're going to go out, let's do it with a bit of fun.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is Kevin's soundtrack for let's, the the coming apocalypse. <laughs> this,
1: is how, this is how we check out. We, you know, at least at least when we check out, we got to check out so that we're on the right side. Just so that you can say, I told you so.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Well, by the way, I wanted to say too that those um, young students who were protesting at the ANU, if anyone knows who they were or if you're listening and you were one of those students, please, please contact me at radiomnt at gmail.com because you are so on the ball. You're really getting what's going on and I'd yeah. love to yeah. talk with you.
1: Yeah, we need to go and have a beer with them at the Union Club Hotel, um, which is where we're going to be going after this show, if you're there or you're heading there. i like to see it. but uh, we've, uh, we're running out of time at, again. And we've got to go. Vicky's up next with um. Oh, mental blank, mental Mifelda. blank. Oh, Mephaldah. Sorry, yeah. I just. <laughs>
2: I was just mouthing the word Mephaldah. You, you. <laughs> got a
1: microphone there, Anne? So you can. Say, I you, could you, have you, said, you, said use it. Use be big girl voice. Um, okay, radio. We're out of here. See you in a couple of weeks. See, you, Bye.
2: Kevin. Okay. You've been listening to Radio MMT with Anne and Kev.
1: We'd love your feedback. Email us on radio mmt at gmail.com or search radio MMT on social media.
2: Listen to this show anytime wherever you get your podcasts or on 3cr.org.au forward slash radio
1: Support this show and the station by subscribing to 3cr.org.au and mention radio mmt.
2: We thank all our guests.
1: And we thank economist Professor Bill Mitchell and his mmted.org educating masses on modern monetary theory.
2: And thank you to our listening listeners for listening. And I thank you, Kevin.
1: And I thank you, Anne. So what's planned for next week?
2: Kevin, there is still so much to talk about. We've got to expose all this rotten economics.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's good and I get it. Do you reckon we could use a bit more music?
2: Well, I made a list of all these terrible economic theories. Like a heard of the theory of comparative advantage or the quantity theory of money or the loanable funds theory?
1: Have you heard of a band called Single Gun Theory? Like, they're a really good band. <laughs> I'm sure there's a whole range of, like, macroeconomic music that I could bring into the show.
2: Yeah, yeah, but we really need to do marginal productivity theory, not to mention the natural rate of unemployment and the money multiplier.
1: You've got a pretty good singing voice. I play bass. <laughs> Bill, Bill, he plays guitar. I reckon we can form a macroeconomic band. Like, we could deliver this whole message by music.
2: Well, we could call the band the Permanent Income Hypothesis or the Ricardian Equivalent, or Rational
1: Expectations. I think we're onto something here. We're trying to make macroeconomics more interesting to the masses. We're going to, like, form this band and sing it to them. And we're we're going to bring the economists in. We're going to get musical...
2: You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia.